0: I first started doing cold plunges a few years ago. It was probably right around the time that Wim Hof made it cool and cold therapy started making its way onto the scene with all the hip kids. I resisted for a long time because I really don't like being uncomfortable, but after learning about some of the health benefits, I decided to give it a shot. And with some practice, I got a lot better and learned a system that worked for me. I'd go to the gym spend about two to three minutes in the hot tub beforehand and then slowly and calmly lower myself into the 52 degree water. I learned that you need to stay in for about three minutes in order to get the full benefits and that first 90 seconds was by far the worst and all your body is trying to do is regulate. You suddenly can't catch your breath and your heart feels like it's beating out of your chest but after about 90 seconds, you'll feel yourself start to calm down and you'll feel like you could stay in for 20 minutes if you needed to. But then one day, right as I got in, somebody else jumped in the water with me. It's a public place, so no biggie. But he's moving around quite a bit, stirring the water around, and this makes it feel even colder. And this might be a little dramatic, but immediately I hated him. He kept breathing all loud and moving his body around, and then this guy has the audacity to actually talk to me. I wish I could tell you what he was saying or asking, but I can't remember because I couldn't even respond. My body was so dysregulated that accessing that part of my brain felt like trying to open a locked door. I eventually was able to muster out to just give me a minute. After that initial 90 seconds was over, I felt myself calm down and actually enjoyed the conversation. He told me about what he was doing and how he was climbing Everest and this was part of his training. And I tell you this story to illustrate how your capacity changes when you are not regulated. Being dysregulated with your emotions really doesn't feel much different than the beginning part of an ice bath and trying to hold a steady conversation. We have to first regulate, and then we can engage. Welcome to Relatable, a Thrive Therapy podcast. My name is Coulter Bloxham, and I'm joined by my friends, Lauren Mokary and Kayla Gensler. We are three licensed professional counselors running a therapy community in Phoenix, Arizona called Thrive. Our mission is to help you find the most connected version of yourself and we do that through individual therapy, group therapy, couples therapy, couples workshops, and this podcast is just an extension of all of that where we go through topics on how to relate better to others, how to relate better to yourself, better to your anxiety, emotions experience and so on. So our topic for today is on emotion regulation, which is actually going to be a two-part episode because we've got a lot to cover. We learned that when we did our boundaries episode that we should have broken that into two parts. So So we're going to break this up into two parts. Uh, Lauren said that we needed a sexier title than emotional regulation, but ChatGPT wasn't able to come up with one for us. And so uh, the intro story is on cold plunge. Do you ladies cold plunge?
1: Okay, I have never cold plunged. And the first time that I heard about cold plunging actually was when we did the couples retreat a couple of years ago. And I was like, absolutely never would I do that. That just sounds masochistic. And I've kind of maintained that for like, I maintained that for maybe like a year and a half. And then in the last year, I've been like, this feels like something I should try. I think I texted you the other day, like, I had this immediate thought process that came up like, oh, I think that I would like to try this just to say that I've done it, but like, I don't know where I would go to do it. And so that's kind of a barrier. And then I was like, well, it is December and you do have a pool in the backyard. And then I was immediately like, no, no, though, I can't do that. Doing
0: it in the pool is so bad.
1: Why? Okay, so that makes me grateful that I haven't tried it in the pool. Why is it so bad?
0: Because it is easier to go from hot to cold. And so like going into a hot, if you have a hot tub at home, Or I don't know, maybe you could take like a hot shower or something, but like going from hot to cold is actually easier because it lowers your basal body temperature about two degrees. And the last time I did one in my pool, like I just walked outside, it was December, it was cold outside and I just got in the cold water and I just was like, had that like chill to the bones for like 24 hours. So I'll probably never do that again.
2: That sounds miserable. I also have zero interest in this. I used to be a runner um, and so I've done ice baths and I know that that's similar, but the intention was different for me. It wasn't like to test myself or like improve my tolerance or are you, you know, up
0: past your chest when you do those no, or is it just your it's legs just your lower okay, body. Yeah, that's a different
2: and it's miserable i mean i literally regretted it I, i've not regretted it but dreaded it every single time i did it and it was awful
0: i think doing just one body part is actually harder somehow because i had to do my entire arm for like 20 minutes one time and it was so hard but like there's something about getting in i think it's past your heart that it just like pumps a lot more blood throughout you, and I don't know.
1: It still sounds horrible to me, but also I think as a somatic therapist, I am always intrigued to be able to Push myself and kind of explore like what are other ways that I can expand my window of tolerance and practice resources. And I do go back in my head a lot to like, okay, well, like I've gone through labor and given birth, so like it couldn't <laughs> yeah. really be harder than that. Basically. So
0: it's definitely not it. harder than that. <laughs> I also like how you seem kind of impressed with yourself just that you are open to the idea. Yeah. You're like, I I don't do it, <laughs> but I didn't want to, and now I might do it. It's like
1: that is presently where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do that with myself,
0: like I'm so strong that I would even think about doing this. <laughs> consider this'
1: <laughs> Feel a little called out, but yes, that's accurate. yeah, I'm still a hard no. I have zero interest.
0: I think it should be a challenge for the podcast for us to do this.
1: I'm looking at Kayla. she's like tense and braced <laughs> and like holding on, her. Give position the fans over there. what they want. <laughs> <laughs> They tried to convince us
2: at the retreat, and that was also still a very hard no for me. So, yeah, I got maybe. out of it there
1: because I was pregnant at the time, and I was like, I don't know if that's. But then later, I saw a friend of mine, like in her third trimester, doing cold plunge in her really? pool in December.
0: I don't think you're supposed to do it when you're pregnant.
1: Oh, well, she was prepping for labor, and I think she did great. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. We're way off topic now. Yeah. So, anyway,
1: TBD, if we ever all come back and say that we've now all three done it. I think just like that
2: visual that you gave us, Coulter, of not being able to even speak to the guy that you hated in the cold plunge um, is – I think that's the feeling that obviously we're all dreading by doing this. And, and that's the – Feeling, I I love the connection to the topic, you know, just being able to recognize that I'm so out of my window. My body is so dysregulated that I can't even speak right now. Um, And I think all of us have probably had an experience cold plunge aside where we've become so dysregulated that it is hard to find words besides maybe swear words, which are my favorite things to say when I'm (laughs) dysregulated. Yeah. I
0: feel like when I'm in that mode, I don't necessarily feel like I can't find words. I can't find good words though, (laughs) or words that I should be saying are going to be helpful or serve me later.
1: I think even just in that moment when you were like, in that moment, I hated him. (laughs) like. Um, I think Kayla and I both laughed when we heard that because it's so relatable. And I knowing you, Coulter, as a person who's very like friendly and sociable, um, it's such a accurate reflection of when we're so dysregulated, we shift from this like social engagement stance where we're really open and curious and able to connect with people to this like protected like I hate you, don't talk to me, I'm gonna attack you. Totally.
0: Like that story happens so quickly. I was just like, I hate this guy. He is so selfish. He does not care about me. He does not care that he is disrupting this. He's making it so much colder because he is a selfish jerk. (laughs) And then like, you know, after that all went away, he was like, he was really cool. Like, I remember that we stayed in for like 10 more minutes. Like, that was like one of the longest ones I've ever done because he's like, yeah, I'm climbing Everest. And like, this is part of my training. And so it was just crazy. And, but the reason I was able to do that was because I regulated. that's what's kind of interesting about the cold plunge is like forces you to regulate. It's not because I am strong or like good at the cold. I'm from Arizona. I'm definitely not good at it. I definitely don't like being uncomfortable, but my body regulated.
2: Yeah, and I think before we can even get to what that means and, and why we do it, we need to be able to recognize that there's an actual need to self-regulate, and being aware of our bodies really helps us to do that, you know, and, and that is honestly, like, the first step of all of this is that in that cold plunge, that recognition that, like, my heart, you know, is racing. And, you know, it is hard to find words that matter. And and what is my mind doing? Just trying to really recognize, like, what is my body telling me in the moments that maybe I am dysregulated?
1: Yeah. And I think that what you're talking about, Kayla, is our capacity to be self-aware, to really practice, like, before I can do any regulatory action. I need to actually be aware that I'm dysregulated. And I generally encourage people to pay attention to any one of three themes um, when we're practicing self-awareness. So Um, we can be aware of our behaviors. I think for a lot of us, that's maybe the easiest one to start practicing. So Coulter, even when you were just talking about like, yeah, I have all these like words that come to mind, but they're fighting words. You know? And so if we find ourselves going into, I'm criticizing, I'm blaming, um, and we're actively doing some of these things. um, I'm slamming cabinets. I'm stomping around. Like, what are my behaviors showing me about maybe the level of dysregulation I'm experiencing? So that can be one way that we start observing, oh, hey, I'm probably dysregulated right now. We can also pay attention to our thoughts. So even You had kind of started commenting on that too. Like I maybe didn't say any of those things out loud, but I was really noticing the thoughts in my mind of like this guy is so selfish, like he doesn't care about me at all. He's ruining this experience for me. So we can even notice when maybe I'm not outwardly behaving in a dysregulated way, but my thoughts are starting to go a lot faster or they're starting to be really critical. Some of us go the like internal criticism route where we're like, gosh, like I'm so weak, I'm so useless here. Like I can never handle anything, and so what are my thoughts doing that are maybe reflecting that I'm dysregulated? I'm
0: just thinking about when those thoughts come up; they feel like they are so true. Like if somebody was able to read my mind and ask, "Like is that person really selfish?" I would just be like, "Yes, they are." Like I'm 100 percent positive that that is true. <laughs> There's like, like a certitude. Yeah, it. it's like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna bet money on this. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> And actually, I would say, yeah, when I hear clients or even friends talk about other people or circumstances when they're dysregulated, I think that's accurate. There is this sense of, like, certitude of I know this and, like, challenge me. I'm ready to.
0: Where does that come from?
1: Thing, it comes from the protective stance, right? Like it's when we're dysregulated, our our brain is literally communicating something feels unsafe here, or I'm not able to cope with whatever the task at hand is. And if I can't cope or I don't have safety, something's feeling threatened, then we really shift from that like social engagement stance to social engagement is not the priority right now. Protection and safety is the priority.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah and it And it probably has like two themes, whether it's self blame or blame of others, right? It's going in probably one of those two directions, like you were saying. It's that inner critic or it's going to what is wrong with this other person and and why can't they do this the way that makes me feel better?
1: Mhm-, yeah. And then I think that maybe a little more advanced self-awareness practice it, beyond tracking our behaviors and our thoughts is tracking the sensations in our body. And that's tracking things like how fast is my heart going, how much tension is coming into my shoulders, my neck, my torso – I noticed about my own body, like my eyes are getting bigger. I feel this like forward momentum. My voice is getting more tense and pressured when I'm talking. So, like those are also cues. Um, I had a friend one time. I was ironically driving us to a yoga class, um, but it was like in the middle of summer. My AC had just gone out. I had just moved. There were like a number of stressful things going on, and we're like halfway to this class, and she looks at me and she's like, "Do you always?" drive like that? Like, do you always sit like that when you're driving? And I like notice myself, my shoulders are like up to my ears. I'm like death gripping the steering wheel. And my chest is basically like on top of the steering wheel. I'm like so tense and braced. And she was like, I feel a little bit alarmed right now. And I'm like, hmm, I think maybe I'm just a little stressed.
0: Yeah. And we pick up on that from the other person too. It's just like, there's like an energy going on with you and like I'm starting to feel it now like I start I'm starting to feel kind of tense I've noticed one of the things for me I feel like this is very specific but I take my index and middle finger from my right hand and I squeeze it with my left hand like I will always notice that like when I'm at the dentist especially like I have to tell myself to relax like seven times and that is always the indicator like I'll be like stop squeezing like squeezing is the thing That I do, um, if I'm starting to feel like really nervous or tense, and so I think our body tends to go back to the same couple of like where it holds the tension.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And I think even just that recognition of tension that that is what our body does as a protective stance. Right? We either tense up because we're getting ready to fight something, or we tense up because we're kind of prepping to run away. Bracing for impact. Yeah, or we're bracing for impact. So there's that kind of like freeze response and. It makes sense when we're potentially, like, facing some real danger, but a lot of the stressors that we experience in today's world are things like, I'm at the dentist. Like, could it be uncomfortable? Yeah, but I'm not in danger the way that, like, if a lion is coming after me. And so it's really counterintuitive to try to work with our body to, like, release some of the tension uh, because the tension is actually just adding to the distress that's already there.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you're referencing like the, the system is really old, right? It's been with our species for a really long time and it's an evolutionary system that used to protect us from really dangerous things like bears and lions and war and all of these things. And, and now it's protecting us from the dentist and for me breaking a dog bowl on the ground this morning. So. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that language. Of, what did you say? Like ancient software? did it's, you say software or ancient no, system an
2: evolutionary and an evolutionary system i think i said. You said something else
0: but mm, it's good i guess. I like to think of like opening up your computer to someone and you click it on and and it starts to load and it's like windows 95 <laughs> comes up and they're like what are you doing and they're like this thing is this baby hums this is like pretty advanced you'd be like we have better technology Now, Like we have something better. And so, well, I don't know if we have better technology in our, uh, in our bodies for this necessarily, but it is like that, like ancient software. It's like, this was good at one time and now it is not necessarily very good.
2: Well, and I don't think it's better technology. I think it's better resources, right? We've learned a lot about our body and our nervous system a lot more than we used to know clearly, you know, back in, in the times that we were fighting bears. And so we have come a long way with what we understand about how to regulate the
1: the nervous system and why not necessarily having different bodies. So as a trauma therapist, I think it's still important to acknowledge that sometimes we are facing bears, right? Sometimes I'm facing a really unsafe person or a really unsafe situation. And so it's not that that software, so to speak, is not helpful anymore. Like we still actually need access to that, but we want to be able to learn to differentiate when am I actually safe and there's not a dangerous situation anymore, whereas maybe there really has been in the past. And then I can start pulling new resources to help release tension and regulate my system. Uh, Whereas if I'm like actually in a dangerous situation, then that's not the time to regulate and use resources. That is the time to be in survival mode.
2: Yeah, it still helps us, right? It helps us in the moments that we actually really need it. And then the reason that we then want to choose to have this awareness, as we've already been talking about, and then these resources to regulate ourselves is more so for the moments where we're getting dysregulated and we want to resume business as usual, right? And our body is responding maybe in a way that feels a little exaggerated to the trigger that just happened.
1: Yeah, so Kayla, what happened with the dog bowl this morning? What happened what happened with your thoughts and sensations and yeah. behaviors? I will be
2: a guinea pig for the rest of the listeners this morning. So um Dustin is out of town traveling for work and I will just say shout out to all the single moms out there in the world because I am having a real hard time adjusting to taking care of the house while I'm working. It has been really, really hard. I have three dogs. Two of them are geriatric, one is especially geriatric, and they eat very unique food that is refrigerated and all the things. And so I'm getting everything ready really quick because I have to get out the door to get to work. And I'm carrying all the dog bowls, which, by the way, Are ceramic. Why do they make ceramic dog bowls and why did I buy them? Is all the questions that go through my head. Why are you
0: carrying them?
2: (laughs) Well, I'm carrying them because I have to separate the dogs so that they can eat in different rooms so that my puppy, Walter, will not eat the old dog's food because they eat slower. So, anyways, all that to say, I'm carrying them and of course I drop the ceramic bowl on the ground and it just shatters. And then I have puppies running towards the food and and the ceramics and all the things. So immediately, I think for me, I'm aware of like my body probably first. I'm aware of my heart racing and the tension that I'm carrying and even my hands shaking and out of my mouth is an immediate swear word. Um, because that's who I am and from New York and that's what we do. <laughs> so
0: And what example is that setting for your dogs?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's it it just like right away, especially because I know we're doing this podcast today, I'm like, oh, I'm dysregulated. And I'm telling myself like, okay, this is, I'm out of my window, right? I'm running around and I'm trying to get everything. And I will tell you that example of blame versus self-blame, there's awareness of the thoughts and I can't find the broom to sweep up all of the shards of of ceramic that the dogs are trying to get. And immediately I'm like, Where did Dustin put the broom?
0: Idiots. Where did like where he probably (laughs) put it like in the attic or something. Like why just call him right away? And let him know. Why do you never put anything back where it's supposed to go? Why That's are amazing. you out of town? Yeah. How could you
2: leave me? All of the things.
0: He's like, I'm bro, I'm just chilling right now.
2: And honestly, an old version of me would have called and cussed him out. I did a little better this morning. I I knew that I didn't
0: have- <laughs> I texted him and cussed him out. <laughs>
2: I waited until I was in my window. Uh, no, I I knew I didn't have time to search for the broom and so I think one of the resources honestly that I was pulling was a phone call. I called him to to ask where the broom was, but I didn't have time for nice nice. So I wasn't like, "Hi, lovey, how's your day?" Yeah. It was more like, "Where's the broom?" Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and and accessing the broom. But I, it felt better than Where's the broom, mother effer? How could you move the broom? It belongs in the cupboard. Why don't you, know? you ever put things back where they're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it I mean, needless to say, I, I cleaned it all up, but it was I could sense even while I'm getting ready after that, my body is still a little like trembling and my thoughts are all over the place. And I'm just like, gosh, this is throwing me off an extra 15 minutes and you know, all the consequences of being dysregulated after that.
1: Yeah, I think you're naming really clearly like there's a lot of the thoughts that go to you described blame like immediately I'm looking for who's to blame for the fact that I can't address this quicker what are all of the things that are at risk now that am I going to be late and I'm going to be more disheveled this morning we start more, being more frantic in our movement and our behaviors, even your voice when you are like, yeah, I wasn't like, hey, lovey, how's it going? Like, where's the broom, right? Like yeah. we hear the tension, we hear the pressured volume of the voice. And so they're all indicators that, you know, we are dysregulated. And the thing that was really cool about you describing the way you did respond is that even though those indicators are still there, you regulated yourself by like, I'm not going to call him until I can ask the question that's really going to address my need. And I imagine knowing you that you probably were taking some like huffy breaths. Oh, to, yeah. I like, am just going
2: like, to say that. Yeah, my, my breath was like this. Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: That's one of my favorites. That is a regulatory resource. Everybody take note. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, this is one of the things that I think I I see get missed a lot about self-regulation is that our capacity to self-regulate, meaning to really manage our activated emotions, is determined by how we respond when we are activated. Our capacity to self-regulate is not determined by how good we are at avoiding being activated. And I think that's something that I see a lot with, like, perfectionists or people who maybe are really high-functioning. It's like, oh, I'm regulated all of the time because I'm just always staying ahead of everything and I'm just always avoiding things that would cause me stress or that would hit on some of my triggers. And it's not that we don't want to have some proactive ways to manage things, of course. But I could be really good at avoiding things or I could just be in like a really steady season of life. And then all of a sudden, if my car breaks down while I'm driving, that's where I'm really going to see like, what is my capacity presently for regulating something really stressful?
0: Yeah. Kind of like almost seizing the opportunity a little bit when this comes up, like, all right, like I have a chance to practice regulation. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I even liked how you said that Kayla, like knowing that we were recording this episode this morning, that that was really on your brain. Um and I've noticed the same thing for myself. Actually, when I was pregnant and I was doing a lot of preparation to like be present with my body and use a lot of resources for when labor came, I did notice through that whole season of being pregnant that anytime I was like at the dentist or at the dermatologist or having to like do something uncomfortable, it was so much more present in my mind, like, oh, use this opportunity to practice. Use this opportunity to practice releasing tension in your body and breathing into your belly and noticing the distress. And it's not that you need to make the distress go away. It's just that you need to be able to tolerate it right now.
2: Yeah. I think the the thing that comes to my mind as far as like knowing why I needed to do that this morning is, you know, if I hadn't Ugh, taking that big breath, and then several other. By the way, others. By the way, I'm constantly as I'm doing my makeup and hair, just like recognizing that my I hold a lot of tension in my chest, and so just breathing through all of that. Um, because if I didn't, I'm on my way to work, and then I'm going to a full day of seeing clients, and I know I'm going to carry that with me. And there's a lot higher likelihood that I'm going to make a mistake while driving. I'm going to drop something else. I'm going to get. To work and maybe not have a clear head to be able to help my clients through the day if I'm not offloading and bringing my body back to some level of normalcy homeostasis so that I can you know face the next challenge that's coming my way
1: yeah and I think that one of the other things that I see come a lot come up a lot as far as why it's so valuable to learn to self-regulate when we're activated is that when we're dealing with Trauma or even just generalized anxiety, a lot of avoidance comes up around like, I just want to avoid being triggered because when I am triggered, I feel shame about the feelings that come up. Like, it feels like there's something wrong with me that I am distressed by this situation when maybe somebody else wouldn't be. And so, I think the more that we practice being in relationship to those activated emotions, being like, okay, of course, this makes sense that this is here right now. It's okay that it's here right now. And I know how how to work with it. Not I know immediately how to make it go away or how to get away from it, but I know how to work with it. Um, It really increases our capacity to just function in the world um, when we're not so distressed by being activated. It's like, oh, I don't have to like being activated, but I know what to do when this is here. So it really um, increases I think our self-trust.
2: Even what you're saying right now, Lauren, is one of my hows as far as my regulation is being able to name it. I'm dysregulated right now. This is what's going on for me. So being able to name the experience that I'm having – again, one brings awareness to it and then also helps me to recognize where I'm at and then to start to pull some of the, what do I do with this now? It's like that transition between being really triggered and having my system feeling like flooded and overloaded to, okay, where do I need to go from here? Naming. I'm dysregulated. This is triggering me.
1: Yeah. I love you saying that because I think that a lot of times we do try to jump too quickly to like the coping skills, right? Like, okay, I need to control my breath. I need to Tap my fingers. I need to do something to make this go away. And I think that what you're saying, Kayla, is actually the most important for the how we do this is to just name it and validate it. It makes sense why this is here right now.
2: Yes. Of course, me dropping the dog bowl on the floor and having fear that my dogs are going to eat the shards of ceramic (laughs) is a reason for me to feel worried and out of my window this morning. Yeah. And then I think the next thing that I would move into myself is I really, like I said, I notice my tension in my chest the most. And so the thing that helps me is to breathe into that, even that audible breath out. Some people might look at that as a dysregulated behavior, but for me, being able to exhale all of that energy is then going to force me to then slowly inhale breath again. So I think first naming it and then second for me going into breath.
1: Yeah. I also think that's a good point too, that like when we are dysregulated, the goal is not to not be dysregulated. Right. Exactly. Right. And so I think sometimes people think that too, that, okay, in order to be self-regulated, I need to continue with business as usual. And in reality, it's not that. A bunch of energy is going to come into our body for good reason. And so knowing how to work with it, it's not going to keep us in a space of like, hi, honey, things are really calm right now and I'm just looking for the broom, right? It's like, no, I have all this energy <laughs> in my body. And so taking some intentional exhale, some of that, ugh, like, as long as we're being safe for the people around us, that's actually really appropriate to manage the energy in that way.
0: Yeah, we can feel like we need to do something about it, but sometimes we're like not afforded that opportunity. And it's, I think of like an engine overheating and being like, okay, well, how do we get it back on? It's like, we just have to wait. Like we have to wait for it to cool down.
1: It's such, such a, good, a good example. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even that even just made me think about a recent time that I had to self-regulate was, um, my basement flooded a couple weeks ago and I realized it as I was on my way out the door to work. And we, I immediately went into kind of action mode of like, okay, I'm going to call out of work this morning. And I sent my husband to Home Depot to buy a shop vac. And he comes home with the shop vac. And it's like working really well, but it did keep pausing. And it had to, it was like, okay, now we have to like wait 10 minutes before the shop vac is ready to get more water out. So it was like, that example you just used, I'm like, it's as I'm having to self-regulate, I'm also having to watch the shop vac self-regulate. self-regulate. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I think that that's important to name as well, because when we are dysregulated, it can move us into a state of like, I need to do something about yeah. this right away. Like I need to set a boundary. Like I need to tell this yeah. person, I need to fix what is happening right now. Um, I'll use my dysregulation example, which is I was driving to work this morning and I had a protein shake that was Sitting slightly askew, I guess, on the cup holder, and I turned, um, and it spilled everywhere, just like, just all over the seat. Where you're just like, there's just like a pool of protein shake on my passenger s- seat, uh, and I yelled out, "Shit!" And of course, my three-year-old in the back seat goes, <laughs> he goes, "Shit!" And then he says, "I say it too."
1: Oh my god! <laughs> and I was like,
0: I was like, buddy, don't say that. But then, like. <laughs> But so I had to go drop him off at school. So that means I have to like go in there. And then I had to drive to work like before I could get it all cleaned up and everything. And it was so hard Mm -hmm. to sit there. And I just kept like looking over it and I just felt this tension in my body the entire time that was like, you need to do something about this thing. And I couldn't do anything about it like until I could get to work and like get some paper towels. It was really hard to just like sit there in that moment.
2: Yeah. And there are consequences to just trying to push through. The emotion that is very normal for us to be experiencing when we become triggered and dysregulated, if we are just trying to immediately move to fixing and removing or avoiding the emotions that are very real, that is also not healthy for us. There are a lot of consequences to just trying to push our emotions aside, maybe not in that immediate situation. It may feel like that's the right thing to do, but as we do that long term it makes it a lot harder to access emotions in a more in a place where we actually need to whether that be relationally or in communication in general just being able to recognize what we're feeling even the good emotions if we are trying to sidestep quote the bad emotions or the ones that we don't want to feel it does linger for our system in general as far as like oh this is something we don't do and we shouldn't do so i just think that's a risk we don't really want to keep taking
1: Totally. And I think that speaks to like the – the thing our brain does with a short-term versus long-term calculation in the moment when we're really dysregulated, Culture, what you were describing of like the brain just wants to go immediately into solution. Like I have to do something right now to fix this. And sometimes there is an action that we can take right now in the moment and then other times there's not. It's like I'm going to have to wait this out and actually to let ourselves practice that to say like, okay, I'm going to acknowledge that I feel really distressed right now and I need to wait either because i have to get to work before i can clean this up or i have to wait until i'm in a more regulated space to even come up with a good solution like i think about when i spilled tide detergent all over my well i didn't spill it, it the dryer knocked it off and the entire detergent thing spilled all over You're the blaming. floor i'm blaming <laughs> it was the dryer's fault to be clear um and when i first saw it i was like I no. Like it's just a no. Like I left the house because I was like, I don't even know how to clean up a puddle of Tide detergent all over the floor. And I think I waited four hours before I actually cleaned it up. And then I had a brilliant idea to use a squeegee and a dustpan, which I don't think I would have done if I had immediately tried to – I would have used paper towels and it would have been a disaster. But my point is that like when we let ourselves kind of take a step back our brain actually is going to be able to come up with a better solution. And it's also helping us practice that I can tolerate distress. I don't have to immediately remove it. Yeah, I don't have to immediately remove it. And so the more I practice that, the more it is actually going to increase my capacity to cope with hard emotions
0: over time. So as we're talking about how we self-regulate, I'm curious what you all think about this is part of the reason that I do the cold plunges is to practice dysregulation, is to practice that Dysregulating and Kayla, you're giving me like a
2: because <laughs> I I'm like, I see where this is. i fearful that you're going to try to push me again into this.
0: <laughs> well, I think it is important to move ourselves to dysregulation kind of frequently, I would say, in ways that are valuable to us. I think of like, if I don't go towards it, like it's going to come to mm-hmm. me. And so I'd rather approach it on my own terms, I also just think about that in terms of like exercising or something like that. Like that can be kind of some form of, of dysregulation. Um, so you're like going towards some pain and dysregulation and, and then practicing, what it means to regulate and kind of teaching your body, like, see, we can feel like this, like we can feel elevated and activated and then we can come back down. For me, that's made it a lot easier when I get into more like relational dysregulation situations and I'm like, okay, I've felt some of these things before and they will go away.
2: Yeah, that's an excellent point. I think of the time, Lauren, I watched you in one of our intensives, hold your arms above your head and, you know, we can all probably do that for 60 seconds, maybe even 90 seconds without really feeling too, too much. But eventually it is going to get tiresome, and even that's a way to be able to breathe through some of that discomfort and expand that window and prove to yourself, like you were saying, Coulter, that I can tolerate this because that is really what we're trying to do with the cold plunge, with exercise, with other ways that we are uh, even just randomly getting triggered with the dog bowl on the ground, being able to look at these opportunities to practice self-regulation and honestly self-validation for the reasons that we're feeling dysregulated and kind of proving to ourselves that we can manage that, that we have the resources and skills to be
1: able to cope. Mm -hmm. So Kayla, do you feel any more convinced that you should try the cold plunge?
2: I think I have a lot of other ways that I can practice self-regulation besides putting my body in ice cold water.
1: Yeah, and I actually, I set you up uh, knowing that you were gonna answer it that way (laughs) because I do think that it's important for everybody to consider, like depending on what season of life we're in, there's so many different ways that we can practice this. I have a really really good friend who skydives as a sport. Like she I think she's jumped close to 500 times oh my and gosh. and I remember when she first went skydiving, like she called me and she was like this was like such an amazing experience and I loved this so much and I think I'm going to keep doing this. And I also would never pressure anybody else to do it if they didn't really want to. It's not like as much as I loved it. It's not something that I would try to talk somebody into if it wasn't something they wanted to do. And I remember appreciating that because at the time I was like, I would literally never voluntarily jump out of an airplane. Um, And then years later, I was in a different season where I was like, I actually really want to go skydiving now. And there's something that I really want to practice about this. And I called her up and she went with me and It just made me think that, like, depending on the season we're in, we're gonna practice self regulation in different ways. It might be, I'm in a season where, like, life is just bringing me a ton of distress. So I'm just practicing with the things that are coming. It might be a smoother season where it's like, okay, how culture was saying, I'm gonna seek this out on my own so that I feel like I have a little bit more agency to choose how I'm practicing this before just letting it come to me. And Kayla, like you're saying too, like, there's so many different ways that we can choose to do this.
0: I do want to say I've also been skydiving and I was terrified to go. And immediately when I got on the ground, I was like, I want to go again right now. And I totally understand why people get addicted to this.
1: I actually had the opposite experience. I I appreciated that I did it, but I got on the ground and was like, okay, I'm good. I do not need to do
0: that again. (laughs) It is better to have my feet here.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I'm thinking of, I'm somebody that has tattoos and will, and thinking about getting another one pretty soon here. And that's a way culture instead that I would prefer to practice self-regulation than the cold plunge. And that is not everybody's cup of tea either. Yeah, that's
0: fair. And you saying it that way makes me think I'm afraid to get a tattoo.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's painful, but it is a way to regulate your breath and um, expand your window. That's so
0: funny too, because I'm thinking like, man, if you can get a tattoo, like you can do this, like this is three minutes.
2: <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if cookie cutter ways to practice self-regulation worked for every single person?
0: They have to work for everyone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking back to our last episode of like being right versus being in relationship. I'm like, I think this applies here that there's not necessarily a right way, but the relational piece is like what works for you right now in the season that you're in.
0: Well, it's hit on a few others in terms of what does work so people can have a variety to choose from. One of my really simple ones that I use, which I I maybe don't necessarily use if I'm in like really, really high dysregulation, I'm just thinking of like, I've got a client coming in in five minutes, I'm like racing around my office and just like moving really quickly, just not feeling like I'm going to be super present for the next therapy session is I'll usually just go sit in my chair and just do like two minutes of box breathing, just like four seconds in, four second hold, four second out, four second hold.
1: It's funny because hearing you say that, I'm thinking of Kayla and I regulate the same way before we go into sessions where she'll come into my office and we'll pick out an essential oil together and then we'll put the same oil on both of our hands and just kind of like rub them and smell it. And it's like a quicker process. Like we're not sitting for two minutes and kind of doing like a slower mindfulness, but it's something that we know is going to ground us because then as we go into our next session, um we have that scent that kind of keeps reminding us like okay breathe and pay attention to this
2: mm-hmm. and i think lauren you're noti- you're noting one of my others right now Breathe, pay attention, right? This self-talk. And Coulter, you also talked about it with the dentist. I'm okay. I can relax here. You know, it's that's another piece I think that I use pretty often is just trying to not take my pain or not give myself logic and reasoning, but just to be able to say, okay, this is really hard. This is really scary. This is really stressful this morning. That self-talk piece of being able to just go to myself and and sort of like not reassure, but just acknowledge what's going on for me.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that self-talk is something that I use a lot as well. Something we talk about a lot at Thrive is values and values-based action. And so a lot of times in the midst of something distressing, I really try to anchor to what is my value here? We talked about distress at the dentist, right? And I'll think about like, okay, well, my value is preventing having more distress at the dentist, right? If I don't come every six months and let them poke at my gums and tell me that I don't floss enough and they're kind of doing some of that cleanup for me, the chance that I'm going to end up with a cavity or needing a root canal or something more severe down the road. So that's like a value that I anchor to. um, I anchor to, I really appreciate that I have access to this resource, that I have this time of somebody else to really just take care of my body in this way even though it feels distressing, that's also a really nice thing that I'm grateful for. So I think, yeah, having some kind of mantra or something in our mind to be like, okay, I value being in relationship over being right. So even though I feel really distressed right now in this conversation, I'm going to sit up and you know pull my shoulders back and uncross my legs and move into a more open stance and take a slow breath and try to anchor to that value of, like, I really want to understand and stay connected here.
2: It feels important to me to note that this skill that we're talking about today is really challenging. And it shouldn't be something that we just expect we're going to do perfectly the first time, second time, or 100th time that we practice this. And it just makes me think about, you know, maybe like why this is so hard and how we, sh- what we should really expect in this process of
1: practicing self regulation and trying to do this differently.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I actually think about parenting. So, like, I have a toddler at home and one of the, Pieces of parenting advice that I was given that has just been so meaningful to me is to like not try to take away his frustration because it's so easy when i'm like watching him try to put a top on a bottle being like okay i can just like do this for you like you're getting frustrated let me help or you're trying to right now he's pushing all the light switches and sometimes he like can't touch it in the right spot or get the pressure just right and i'm like oh i'm just like moving fast and i just want to do it for you but the value of letting kids develop frustration tolerance the value of letting him be frustrated and Like, holding him there. Like, you can work through this. It's okay to be frustrated. That's normal. And so I think that feels really helpful to me thinking about, like, a child growing up needing to develop that. And then when we didn't get that for ourselves as children, like, we have to do that with ourselves. And, no, it is going to take a lot of repetition. It's going to take a lot of time to practice letting ourselves stay in frustration and letting ourselves stay in distress to learn how to manage that.
0: Yeah. I think I've probably said it on the podcast before and I'll say it again, that I just like to think about the amount of time to recalibrate, Mm -hmm. like how long does it take us to, and that's what we're trying to get to is like, is just cutting down on that amount of time. And like the floor for that might be, you know, I don't know, 15 minutes or something. Like maybe that's like the best we can ever get it to. I don't know. I'm just throwing out a number, but like not setting an expectation that it should never happen or we should just be able to immediately do it. We're just looking at some progress for ourselves as to where like, you know, maybe it used to take me an entire day to regulate or, you know, can I move that to a few hours and to an hour to half an hour? Right.
2: And in starting again in the position of the self awareness right that's even if we can just get to the point where we're recognizing something that tells us that we're dysregulated that's probably better than like you were saying Lauren maybe what we were set up for and This is I always say that that this is in no way a place to shame your parents because things have just come a long way in our field since our parents were younger. And they didn't always have the tools and resources that we have today that tell us to let the kids try to learn these things on their own and then regulate their emotions and help them regulate their emotions. And so there's probably a large majority of us that didn't have those skills when we were younger. And so it's being able to give yourself some grace In the practice of being able to do one thing better and striving for progress, not perfection.
0: Yeah, they didn't have Dr. Becky back
1: then. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Dr. Becky. Yeah. And I just would also know, like, it depends on the circumstance, right? Like, we could be practicing self-regulation regularly and really start seeing progress and like, wow, I didn't react here out of my window the way that I would have six months ago. Or like, oh my gosh, I actually was able to regulate myself in 15 minutes versus three hours And keep in mind, a different trigger could come up um, that hits on a past trauma or a raw spot or again, like something just really unexpected and something that maybe feels more dangerous comes up and really pushes us past our capacity to cope. And I hear people a lot of times you know, get down on themselves and be like, oh, this means that I've regressed. This means that all of that work that I did in therapy isn't really helping. And it's just so important for us to look at the relevant context, that it is helping and we are making progress and it's a lot of repetition. And that doesn't mean that there aren't still going to be other circumstances that are just going to be beyond our current capacity.
2: Exactly. And we need to keep in mind that there, for each of us individually, there will be different triggers that dysregulate us in different ways. And each of us are individuals. And so what triggers me may not trigger Lauren and may not trigger Coulter. And so being able to keep in mind that that doesn't mean anything about us, that certain things trigger us differently. It just means that we have to get to know ourselves. And that's really the opportunity here with self-regulation is to be self-aware and to be able to know yourself more and to be able to help yourself.
0: All right, well, I think we need to land our plane for today. Kayla, what are we talking about next week?
2: Well, in this episode, we talked about relating to ourselves and how we self-regulate from an individual standpoint. Our next episode, we're going to talk about self-regulation as it pertains to us in relationships. So how do do we self-regulate versus co-regulate and what are the important things that we need to know as we get triggered in our relationships with others?
0: Cool. Well, I am looking forward to unpacking that with both of you next week. So Until next time.